0: During World War II, Winston Churchill encouraged and supported the people of Britain through endless dark hours, making many memorable speeches and statements along the way. Once he was speaking to Parliament after London had just been bombed to smithereens in one of those all-night bombing campaigns, and he sensed that the people were losing heart. It seemed as though Churchill never did. He must have had his low moments. But his speeches and the statements he made never revealed such. So he spoke to Parliament, which was in deep despair. This is not the end. This is not even the beginning of the end. But it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Now we're concluding our sermon series today the most excellent way from 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through verse 8. Where we're looking at the final two profound statements regarding love. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. And this is one of the reasons why love never fails. And what made Winston Churchill stand out in his resistance of the Nazi aggression was his love for people and his love for his nation. And he thus kept hope alive and he kept challenging people to persevere. And folks, it's hard to remain hopeful, isn't it? When the culture all around us is falling apart faster than anybody can put it back together. We live in a world... That constantly maligns Christians because we do not toe the party line. Listen to what First Peter chapter 4 verse 4 says. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse upon you. Sounds kind of prophetic, doesn't it? Almost 2,000 years ago to say that. That's what we're experiencing. We're the ones who don't fit in to the world's agenda. So they pile it on. And it can get discouraging from time to time. It can seem hopeless. It can seem like the battle is already lost. So why even persevere? Well, first 7 of First Peter 4 says this. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. When it says the end is near... It's like you can almost touch it. You're stretching. You can almost touch it. It's that close. In verse 8, a verse we looked at briefly last week, says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Stay calm. Use good judgment. Maintain a spirit of prayer. Do not be filled with anxiety. Do not panic. Look at life realistically and recognize that God is in control. You know, on the eve of Jesus' arrest, on the eve of his trials and his scourging and his crucifixion, Jesus was very stressed. So what did he do in the midst of all that stress and pressure he was under? He prayed, he was praying, he was looking to God, he was recognizing that God is in control. And prayer is what prepared Jesus to submit to his arrest and all the events that followed his arrest. And do you know it was Peter's lack of prayer in the garden? Remember when Jesus came to him and all the disciples are sleeping? Couldn't you even tarry one hour? Couldn't you even pray one hour in the garden? And his lack of prayer is what led Peter to chop the soldier's ear off and try to resist Jesus uh, being arrested. And it was his lack of prayer that even led him to deny Jesus three times in the next 12 hours, even though Jesus told him this was what was going to happen. And Jesus said, Peter, take heart. I have prayed for you. Verse 8 says, above all, More than anything else in your life. What can you say in your life is above all? I could say, well, my love for my spouse is above uh, my love for everybody else. Or my love for my children or my grandchildren. Or or you could say, my love for God is above all else. Here it says, above all, love others deeply. It means be fervent in your love for others. And it's the Greek word there. It means to strain, to stretch, give it all you have. And this is usually an athletic metaphor in the Bible. So it would be like a sprinter who's straining, giving everything they have, every ounce of energy to get to the finish line. And many times sprinters will strain so hard and lean so hard at the tape that they will actually lose their balance. Their center of gravity will move so far forward that they can't. their legs can't keep up. Sometimes even fatigue sets in because they're, they're They're consuming all of this energy and don't take in enough oxygen in a short span of time to process all the energy they're burning. So they crash and burn on the track. And they could be going 22, 23, 24 miles an hour, lean so hard and lose control and go skidding across the track. Long jumpers try to strain and stretch the same thing. They try to create as much speed down the runway as possible. And then maintaining that speed, the last two steps... They gather, shorten their steps so they can jump up into the air because they want to get height in order to go distance and to actually keep running in a sense. And their legs end up behind them and their arms end up behind them and their torso is leading the way. Their center of gravity is leading the way. And then as they start to descend, they want to bring their arms forward and their legs around and reach and stretch, straining with all their effort to go as far as they can go. Same thing about pole vault, and I gotta, I gotta weave this one in here, folks. You gotta forgive me here, all right? But pole vaulters try to do everything they can to generate as much speed down the runway to convert that, that horizontal speed into vertical energy. And they're doing it by planting a pole in the box, a carbon graphite fiberglass pole in the box, trying to bend it at 90 degrees. And then when they plant that pole, at the time they plant it and are running through, they jump off the ground at the same time. And there are for world-class athletes over 1,000 foot pounds of pressure on their shoulders when they plant that pole. And then they're pulling as hard as they can against the pole to keep that energy stored in there while they're pulling their body up into what is called a rock back, the phase where your back is parallel to the ground. And then to keep pulling to store that energy in the pole to get your body inverted like this, pulling up the pole, rotating, turning in, then coming off the top of the pole as the pole whips, as it unbends. And every motion has a purpose because even you turn your thumbs in at the top so you don't drag it off, you know, because every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. If you try to throw your pole back, what happens to your elbow? See where your elbow goes? So you turn your hands in and roll back like this. All of that effort and energy straining to clear the bar, and world-class vaulters will go 36 to 48 inches over their top hand coming off the top of a pole. This is the kind of effort to love fervently, to love deeply, that should be evident in our love for one another. If there ever was a time that Christians needed to be close, it is right now. Please, please, Do not play into the hands of the evil one. Do not play the game of our enemy. This is the time for Christians to stick together. Do not waste precious time criticizing other Christians. Please do not waste time criticizing other churches or criticizing pastors. Spend your days. Spend your weeks, spend your hours, spend your months and years building up one another, staying fervent in your love for one another. You know, if ever there was a time to stretch our love for one another, to love deeply, to keep fervent, it's when the end of all things is near. And now is one of those times. It's near, it's close. And this passage tells us that when we love each other deeply, that that love covers a multitude of sins. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but that's actually leaning on the wisdom that's found in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12, where it says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Nothing. Nothing is more compelling in terms of our Christian witness than when there is love and unity between believers. And nothing is more disturbing than when Christians are stirred up against each other. You know, Mahatma Gandhi, the Indian nationalist leader and uh, and lawyer uh, from India, from the latter part of uh, the 19th century and the first half of the 20th century, who had lived most of his life in India but had studied in South Africa as well, uh, he famously said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. They are so unlike Christ. What a stinking rebuke. And sadly, those words are so often true. So, Let's ask ourselves that question. What was Christ like? Well, Christ was loving and Christ was forgiving. And one insightful person once said, we are the most like animals when we kill. We are the most like our fellow human beings when we judge one another. And we are most like God when we love others. That's profound, isn't it? Makes perfect sense because God is love. And if we love other people, that's when we're going to be the most like God. Now, I'm pretty sure here today that every person we know in our lives has reasons to blame others for things that have gone wrong in their lives. Every one of us can probably blame someone for something that has happened in our lives that went wrong. But let me ask you this or encourage you this way. Please do not waste your time doing that. What we need most in this world right now is a steady stream of love flowing from Christians. And this passage we're looking at today is a plea for steady affection persisting through life's irritations, through life's disputes and misunderstandings that are part of life among human beings who come from differing backgrounds, different upbringings, different personalities, and different interests in life, and even different giftings. This is why we need love. This is why we need a love that never fails, a a godly, selfless, unconditional, godly love that always hopes and always perseveres. So let's look at the first one, love always hopes. Friends, you need to know this. Love is unabashedly optimistic. It does not dwell in the past, but looks forward to the future with confidence in God. So loving Christians then are hope filled people and sometimes in life there are circumstances that come along to which there are no easy answers it might be related to someone's marriage it might be related to their own personal health it might be something associated with one of their children or one of their grandchildren it may be an impending financial challenge that's coming down the road or maybe it's a job or a career related difficulty and it will seem like an impossible situation And you probably have already received counseling regarding that. You've cried and you've wept. You've read the Bible and studied it. You've gone through sleepless nights over this issue. You've even read good Christian books or other books about this subject. You've prayed and you've enlisted the prayer of others. And you've done every single thing that you know to do about this difficult situation. There's nothing left to try. And what does love do? in these impossible situations, it hopes. It rests on God alone. And I don't know if any of you have given any thought to this or at all, but you know on the night when Jesus washed his disciples' feet at the Last Supper, as is recorded for us in John chapter 13, do you realize whose feet he washed? He washed Peter's feet, the very one who who would try to resist Jesus being arrested. And the very one who within a half a day would deny three times that he even knew Jesus. And of course, Judas was there. The one who betrayed him. The one who told the authorities where to come and even get Jesus. The informer. The one who was inside. And the one who betrayed Jesus with a kiss on the cheek. A a greeting of a friend and a loved one. You know, these are the people that Jesus washed his feet. And get this. Jesus knew all of that was going to happen. And he washed all of the disciples' feet anyway. Treating them all the same. And yes, Peter repented. Peter wept bitterly, the text says. You know, Peter, you know, he changed. He was a different man after that experience. But Judas didn't change. But folks that is love. No matter how impossible the situation looks, love always hopes. It looks to a better future and does not stay stuck in the past. You know, our culture tells us all the time that we have to just accept people the way we are, the way they are. And remember, you can't have culture without cult. You have to have cult to have culture. And the cult says that people are The way they are and yes in one sense that is true but in another sense that is absolutely false this is the way the person is and they can never change that's what that's saying people can never change folks that's not acceptance and that's not even tolerance we need to name that and call it what it is you know what that is that's fatalism And it's fatalism because it believes there is no God. Or it's promoting a world where there is no God. Because if people can't change, then there's no God who can change them. And yes, we can accept people the way they are right now. But love says, I don't believe that you must stay that way forever. I am not giving up on hope. You know, the late British playwright Oscar Wilde from the 19th century used to say, the difference between a saint and a sinner is the saint has a past and the sinner has a future. The saint has a past to keep them from being all puffed up with pride and full of themselves. The sinner has a future to keep them from giving up in despair. The source of our hope is our wonderful future that we have in Christ. So no matter how bad our past has been, it doesn't ultimately matter. Love never fails because love always hopes. So let me ask you, is hope part and parcel of your daily life? Or are you all wrapped up in the despair of this culture? God wants hope. To be part of our daily life. Because God is love. And God loves us. In Jeremiah 29 verse 11. It alludes to this very clearly. In fact we're going to be doing a series in the book of Jeremiah. Starting next week. Where we're looking at all of these statements about love. That are listed there. And ultimately uh, our responsibility to be loving God. But it says for I know the plans I have for you. Declares the Lord. To prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. And a future. Love never fails because love always hopes and love always perseveres. Now, the word persevere here, or as some of your translations say, endure, is a military term that means to hold one's position at all costs, even to the point of death. See, the battle may be lost. But the soldier carries on right until the very end. And the portrait here is of an army that is surrounded by superior forces, slowly being overwhelmed on every front of the battle. And one by one, people are going down all around us. And the order to stand your ground, and if necessary, die well, is given. Here's the deal. Love holds fast to the people it loves. It perseveres. It never gives up on anyone. It will not stop loving even in the face of disappointment, even in the face of rejection and utter discouragement. This love endures when all seems lost. See, love does not walk away. It does not give up. It does not surrender. It stays the course. And love endures what seems to be unbearable. And it's not that love is passive here in the face of unjust treatment. It's exactly the opposite. Love is active, and this is an active verb here. Choosing to love when love is least likely to occur. And yes, loving others, it's risky business. Just because we love someone doesn't mean that everything is going to work out. Or everything will work out in every situation. Or it doesn't mean that we won't experience heartache along the way. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis raises this very issue. Listen to what he said. To love all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one not even to an animal wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries avoid all entanglements lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness but in that casket safe dark motionless airless it will change it will not be broken it will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. C.S. Lewis says, the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell itself. Folks, love will always stand its ground. It'll stand its ground in the face of rejection. In the face of persecution, in the face of cursing and slander and hatred, in the face of belittling and manipulation and shaming and ill treatment and the like. Do you remember the words of Corrie ten Boom in The Hiding Place? When she was asked how she could have possibly endured a Nazi concentration camp without becoming bitter? And remember, that's where she lost her dear sister Betsy. That's where she lost her mother and and the war itself and the conflict and everything that went on. She lost her father along the way. And how did she do all of that and not become bitter? Here's what she said. There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. Friends, you have to understand that 1 Corinthians 13 is not describing here for us the love of humanity, the love of mankind. It's about the love of God. God's selfless, unconditional love for us, and it's a love that he wants us to share with others. Romans 5 verse 5 says it so well. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What God has given to us, we are able to give to others. This is why God's love within his children never fails. Because it always hopes and it always perseveres. Would you pray with me please? God, our Father, we thank you for these last number of months where we've been able to hear your voice through your spirit, through your word, through your definition of love. And that, God, you are love. And you, through your Holy Spirit, have poured your love into the hearts of your believers. And, God, we are a people who live in a world that maligns us all the time a world that ridicules our dear held Christian faith and dear beliefs. And God, we know you don't want us to respond in kind. Your word has shown us that what what is needed in this cult we live in right now, this culture is a steady flow of selfless, godly Christian love. Oh, I pray this for your people This kind of faithfulness and God that you will be magnified as a result of that. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.